0: to all the parkrunners out there and those thinking of trying it. I'm Emu, welcome to the fourth episode of the Stay Frosty Parkrun podcast. Anyone wanting to get in touch can do so on the email stayfrostyparkrun at gmail.com. As always, I'd love to hear from you with any comments or stories about your recent parkrun exploits, or if you have any questions you'd like me to answer, I'll be happy to do so. This week I'm going to be looking at what you need to be able to start park running and I'm going to mention briefly about clothing, do a large segment on running shoes and also going to be looking at the apps and gadgets that I and my husband use and why we like them. I'll then cover what we've been up to this week in terms of park run, including our latest park run abroad. But first I have to make a correction. In my first episode I mentioned that UK park runs start at 9am. Mike has emailed in to let me know that this isn't actually the case. In Scotland and Ireland, both north and south of the border, park runs actually start at 9.30am. goes on to explain that this is because the first Scottish park run discovered that a nearby cafe opened at 10, so starting at 9.30 enabled the runners and volunteers to have a post-park run coffee. The continuation of this starting time may have more to do with the shorter daylight hours in the winter, the further north you venture in the UK. Thank you for emailing in, Mike. I'm always happy to learn more things about parkrun. It's actually uh, prompted me to do a little bit more reading about the Scottish and Irish parkruns, because I must admit I didn't, I've did not i never done a Scottish or an Irish parkrun. I don't know a lot about them. But I now know that the first Scottish parkrun was Pollock Parkrun in Glasgow, originally called Glasgow Parkrun when it was set up in December 2008, but they changed the name in 2014 as more parkruns started to pop up around Glasgow. The first parkrun in Ireland was Malahide Castle Parkrun set up in November 2012 and the course is in the Malahide Castle grounds in Dublin. There are now 42 parkruns in Scotland, 80 parkruns in the Republic of Ireland and 27 parkruns in Northern Ireland. Malahide Castle Parkrun is actually in the Republic of Ireland but I, and I tried to locate information on the first parkrun started in Northern Ireland but I struggled to find this. If anyone knows the answer to this and could let me know, I'd love to hear from you. What was the first park run that was set up in Northern Ireland? Emails, as always, to stayfrostyparkrun at gmail.com. I'd quite like to know the answer to that one if you know. So, on with the show. What do you need to start running at a park run? Well, first and foremost, you need the motivation to be able to get out of bed early on a Saturday morning to be there for 9am. Secondly, your barcode. This is obviously if you want to record your run each time you run. You can run without a barcode, but then you won't have a record online. I cover all this in my first episode. Please refer back to that one if you want more information. And then, of course, you need your gear. Now, by gear, I mean clothing, shoes and gadgets or anything you use to stay comfortable or record information about your runs. So looking at what you actually need, I would recommend a loose, stretchy or comfortable T-shirt I personally have found synthetic fabrics are better as they wick away sweat and they dry a lot quicker. Sometimes I run in a loose shirt, sometimes I run in a more fitted shirt. If it's cold, I'll run in long sleeves. If it's a bit warmer, I'll run in short sleeves or a vest. I think it, the main thing is to be sensible. If you know that you get cold or you get particularly cold hands, it might be an idea to wear gloves whilst you run. Comfortable shorts, running leggings or jogging bottoms. Most important of all of these though is the pair of running shoes. So try your shoes on with the socks that you're planning to run in. Synthetic socks tend to wick away sweat better. You can also get fairly cheap running socks online. Look for the ones with the good reviews, the ones that people have tried and tested and know are good. Put your shoes on, jog up and down in them, whether you're at home or whether you're in the shop. Doesn't matter if they look at you like you're a little bit strange. All running shops will usually have a treadmill or a sort of area, or they'll recommend that you have a little run around in them to see how they feel. Don't go outside in them, because of course as soon as you go outside in them, if you've ordered them online and you go for a run outside, you'll damage the sole and then you won't be able to return them. Wear them around the house and ask yourself a few questions. When you're moving around in them, does the heel slip? Is there enough room for your toes? Do they pinch or rub anywhere? They should be comfortable straight away. If you've bought them online and wore them around the house, then you can return them if you feel that they're not comfortable. And if you think that they're snug or rub a little bit, i advise sending them back and trying a different pair. I know it's a bit of a faff and a bit of a pain, but if you keep them and you end up with blisters the size of pancakes after running outside, then you get home and think, well, these aren't suitable, but by then you can't return them. Once you have your shoes, you're good to go. Jay's first shoes, my husband's first shoes... Um, so after his rebox I insisted on taking him to a proper running shop because I wanted them to analyze his gait. So I wanted them to see what kind of runner he was so he could choose the shoes that were best suited to his feet. He actually has a neutral foot, so he was able to choose any shoes that he felt were most comfortable to him. They did have a treadmill in the shop. He did have a go on the treadmill, but he says it's the most exercise he's ever done when buying a pair of shoes. So there are three main categories that feet kind of fall into. So you have a neutral foot, or you can have a foot that overpronates, or you can have feet that underpronates, also known as supination. As I said, he had a neutral foot. Neutral means that you have a fairly balanced foot or feet, and you should just go for the shoes, like I say, which are most comfortable to you. Try them out, try them on the treadmill, jog around in them, see what you think. If you have feet that overpronate, that means that your feet actually roll inwards towards your arches, possibly pushing your knees slightly closer together. People who overpronate can also be prone to having flat feet. These people will likely benefit from a more supportive running shoe, which offers some sort of motion control, so something that supports your arches and stops your feet from rolling inwards. Underpronation or supination means that your feet roll outwards away from your arches as you run or walk. This often gives you high arches, a shoe with more cushioning will feel, feel much better to you if you're an underpronator. You can do a simple test at home to see what kind of feet you have. You can maybe do it after you've had a shower whilst your feet are still wet. If you take a few steps on a piece of paper or on a hard floor, you can see what kind of footprint you leave on the paper or on the floor. This will give you an idea as to what kind of feet you have or what kind of feet you, foot you have. If you have a very narrow outside edge to your foot impression then you may have underpronation where your feet roll slightly outwards. If you leave nearly the whole of your sole of your foot as an impression on the floor then you may have slightly flat feet and overpronation. Anything in between these two should be considered a fairly neutral foot. You can google this online, there are lots of images to help give you an idea if you think you may be underpronating or overpronating. If in any doubt whatsoever please go to a running shop, they will analyse your gait for free. The only thing is then you may feel obliged to buy a pair of shoes from them after they've gone to the effort of helping you work out what kind of running gait you have. So my sister actually uh, got a discounted pair of running shoes online, she works for a retail company so she was able to get a discount on them. She actually run with them for a little bit and then found that they um, gave her a slight niggling pain on the inside edge of the arch of her foot So what she did is she bought some ruruns insoles that had good reviews for this kind of pain and they've worked very well for her and she's uh, not looked back since. She loves her running shoes. Of course this information is simplified a bit and I've tried to pare it back quite a bit but this should give you a good idea of how to assess your own feet if that's what you want to do and maybe what sort of shoe you want to look at investing in. I know that everybody's feet are different and at the end of the day you just need to go with what's most comfortable for yourself. I know that my feet for example, uh, my left foot is actually slightly longer than my right. I have neutral feet when running and walking but I do have fairly high arches and I like to have a slightly wider toe box so that my little toes don't rub against the sides of the shoes as I'm running. My first pair of running shoes were actually Silconi Stabbles many, many moons ago. I was a total newbie to running at the time and a friend of mine who did run insisted that I went to a running shop to have my stride analysed and my feet analysed to make sure I was getting the right pair of shoes. I wore these shoes, they were very comfortable, for far longer than I probably should have, largely because of the cost of about £100. And then I replaced them with the next generation of Sorconi Stabbles, because I was very happy happy with these. Um, That was actually when the first pair became so worn out that the inside started to come out and disintegrate. So I was forced to abandon those. I still have the second pair of Sorconis, but they are getting a little old and a little worn now. So depending on the wear of the shoes, the general recommendation is to wear them for no more than 400 to 500 kilometres as the cushioning, even if the shoe's in good nick, the cushioning is usually done by this point. Obviously if the sole wears out in certain places or anything like that, then you need to change them sooner. You can actually, with the proper running shops, you can take your old pair of shoes in and show them the soles, and if they've worn out in a particular point, they may have a good recommendation for you as to a new shoe. That is clothing in a nutshell, so just covering the key points again. You should run in loose, comfortable or stretchy clothing. Synthetic materials tend to be better. Everybody is different, but your shoes are probably the most important thing you need when running. Try them on before your first outdoor run. They should be comfortable from the moment you put them on. They needn't cost an absolute fortune. They vary quite a lot, so you might find if you have difficult feet, you need to spend a bit more on the proper shoes for running. Otherwise, you could be uh, prone to injury, especially if you're running in a pair of shoes that aren't suited to your feet. If you think I've missed anything out here, please let me know. Or if you have any tips or comments that you want to add, please email at stayfrostyparkrun at gmail.com. I'd love to hear any more information. This is just based on my own personal experiences, my family's experiences. I'm not a professional here, so please fill me in on anything you think I might have missed. Right, this is all the kit that you need to do park run or any training runs. However, a lot of people get a lot more out of their runs by recording them on various apps or using GPS devices or pedometers in order to compare their performances with each other. So we're going to look now at gadgets. This isn't going to be an in-depth comparative tech review. I'm not a particularly tech person. I'm just going to look at the gadgets that I and my husband use when we're running in order to record what we do to then, like I say, look at the statistics and compare ourselves either to other people or to our our previous runs at the same distance. I've said this before, but I'm not trying to sell anything here. I'm just trying to share information. So if you want to email in with information about the apps or the gadgets that you're using, please do so. Stayfrostyparkrun at gmail.com because I'd love to have a comparative view on this and I can only talk about what I know. When I started running, literally all I took out the door with me was a very cheap digital watch and a key so that I could get back into my house. That was the only thing I took and I just wanted to see if I could run for 10 minutes. So all I needed was a stopwatch to tell me when I had run for 10 minutes. When I found that I could run for 10 minutes, I tried to see and run if I could run for 20 and then for 30. I had no concept of splits. I had no concept of distance. I didn't know how far I was going. I didn't know how fast I was going. I just enjoyed the freedom of not having to have my mobile phone with me, not being connected to the world, just being completely on my own and running without any sort of tethers, if you will. I'm sure a lot of people still feel the same way about that. So the first piece of tech I got was actually a Fitbit zip, not for running, but because of uh, I wanted to improve my health and I felt I wasn't maybe doing enough steps during the day. I did wear it when I did a few early training runs before I got back into parkrun but unfortunately it can't differentiate between walking and running so it would just count the steps. It's a fairly basic piece of tech but I enjoy it because I like that it records my steps every day and tries to gee me up to make 10,000 steps. Jay also got a Fitbit shortly after I got mine. And then we both moved to Croydon and we both uh, downloaded Strava when we started doing park run because we wanted to be able to see more information about our runs. And we both have smartphones, so we are able to use the GPS on those to record our runs using Strava. Jay also got, very recently, um, he had a birthday, he got a Polar GPS watch so that he could get more accurate uh, GPS because he found that his phone wasn't always the most accurate. He also enjoys being able to wear it on his wrist so that he can uh, change settings or look at the uh, recorded information whilst he's running whereas obviously when you have a phone if it's strapped to your arm it can be more difficult to do that i don't generally enjoy running with my phone in my hand i know some people find this absolutely fine and then they can look at the phone and see what's going on i much rather have it on have my hands free and have my phone strapped to my arm so looking at the first one the fitbit zip uh says so Sadly, there's no differentiation of exercises. Um, It is great to encourage you to make your steps of usually 10,000 a day. I love the fact that I don't have to wear it on my wrist. I don't particularly like wearing things on my wrist, apart from, like I say, my digital watch once a week when I do park run. It's subtle. You can tuck it into a pocket. It doesn't have to be seen. It doesn't have to stick out. And it's good if you want to record things like your food intake, what you're eating every day, and record your weight loss goals, if that's something you're aiming for. It's fairly robust, it's contained in a rubber case, I've dropped mine on many occasions and it's always survived. The rubber case is looking a bit worse for wear now, but generally it's very, very good. So looking at Strava, So, the main plus about Strava is that it's linkable to Parkrun, to the Parkrun website and the results on there. So when someone looks at the results page on the Parkrun website, you can see if they've got a little orange logo with the two pointy arrows on it, that it's linked to their Strava page and then you can click that and see their results on Strava as well. Strava is uh, mainly aimed at cycling and running, but it does have other activities. You can set it up obviously to be in Imperial or in Metric if you prefer kilometres or miles. So the most entertaining aspect we find about Strava is the flybys. So after you've recorded a run, especially park run, anyone who is also recording that run at Strava can watch themselves running around the track, running around the course, and see all the other little dots, the other little people running around them, so you can see who you you were behind, whether you caught them up a bit, whether you lagged behind a little bit. And uh, Jay and I both love watching these and seeing everyone running around us and seeing where we placed within that group. We find that very entertaining. Strava offers splits for your kilometres, which I found very useful. Some of the downsides to Strava, so if you have inaccurate GPS, it does obviously make the recordings inaccurate, So that's more dependent on your hardware, what device you're using to record with the GPS. And of course this will alter your splits because Strava might think that you've run further than you actually have. There are ways to improve your GPS, I looked these up recently. As mentioned i turn on my Strava a little bit early before the start of the race, maybe a minute or two. If you restart your phone or your device that you're recording it on before you turn on the Strava app, that can also help to make the GPS more accurate. You don't need to buy any additional equipment so if you already have a smartphone you already have the means to be able to take a a download Strava and record your GPS on there on your run. Obviously you have to carry your phone with you so you may wish like I have to buy a cheap armband in order to strap it to your arm but I have seen people running with their phone in their hand and they seem happy to do that. Moving on to the Polar M430 watch. so. These are the things that Jay has said to me, why he likes the watch. So first and foremost, you can wear it on your wrist. You can read it whilst you're running and you can access and change settings whilst you're running. It records your heart rate. It has a heart rate monitor. It shows you a cute little movie after your activity. So it records it on um, Polar Flow app, which is something that comes free or you can download free with your new watch. It makes a little uh, montage, if you will, a little movie of your run and shows your heart rate throughout your run. It gives you daily targets to meet in terms of your heart rate. It also has a built-in fitness test, which Jay says he hasn't tried yet, but he's looking forward to testing. It has much more accurate GPS than a lot of smartphones. It also can record your sleep activity. So it's like some of the uh, Fitbit wristwatches monitors that you get that also record your sleep activity. It has a large face, so it's clear, it's easy to use, and you can link it to Strava, which was one of the key reasons that Jay bought his, because he wanted to be able to link it to his Strava account. If you have any other tips about any of these apps or devices, or if you'd like to compare these to apps and devices that you use, please email in, because I'd love to be able to compare these things to things that other people have used and found really good. Simply send an email in to stayfrostyparkrun at gmail.com and let me know what you think of the apps and the devices that you use. Now I'm going to move on to looking at what me and my family have got up to this week. So as I mentioned before, it was our first park run abroad. We actually did it with my parents, who it was their second time to do this particular park run. They've done it once already. It's Park Run de la Rame in, Rame, in uh, Toulouse. So my mum and dad ran, it, ran in very respectable times. They both got PVs. My dad ran in 28 minutes and 38 seconds, and my mum ran it in 34 minutes and 24 seconds. Jay ran it in 30 minutes and 21 seconds, and I actually ran it in 27 minutes and 4 seconds. Jay was very happy because he's getting ever closer to the 30 minute mark. I was very happy because I was able to increase my pace throughout the run, according to Strava, and at the end I had enough energy left to give a little bit of a sprint finish. It's a really enjoyable course, I actually really liked the mix of gravel paths, paved surfaces, dirt tracks and little grass. Quite a lot of it is shaded, it was quite sunny when we were there, it was quite warm even at that time of the morning, so it was quite nice to be running through the trees, through the woods. So it's quite a minimalist run, there are more runners in the summer we've been told, but they're nearly always tourists, usually British tourists. There's a few volunteers, there are no marshals, So when you turn up, you really need to pay attention to the briefing to look at the route that you're going to run. It's not an overly complicated route, and there are arrows on on the track, but because you repeat some sections of the track, you need to make sure that you're going in the right direction at the right turn for the correct lap, if that makes sense. And when you come down the finishing straight, you can't actually see the finish until you're almost right right the way there, less than 50 metres away, I would say. I was pleased with my performance. As I've said before, anything in the 27s for me is an accomplishment, so I was very happy with that one. So on that note, I feel I've reached a good point to wrap this one up. Next week, I'm going to be focusing on the health benefits of running or doing your park run every week. Thanks once again for listening, and please email in with any questions or comments or stories about park run. I'd love to include them on the show. Please send your emails to stayfrostyparkrun at gmail.com. Have a great week, stay Frosty Park Runners. I'll see you next week.